Welcome to the Election 2020 series of The Candidate. We're sitting down with each party leader and putting your questions to them to help you decide who to vote for on Saturday. I'm Laura Byrne, Assistant News Editor here at thejournal.ie and today I'm joined by co-leader of the Social Democrats, Catherine Murphy. Catherine, you're very welcome and thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, We do have some questions from our readers, uh, but first up, obviously the talk about selection now is particularly in the last 24 hours. There is a lot of discussion from all parties about who they'll speak to after the uh, vote is counted and what red lines are in place for each party, particularly when it comes to Sinn Féin. Can you clarify first, Catherine, what's your party's stance on this? Well, first thing we we're not doing is we're not ruling anyone out and and we feel that there's about two million people who will have something to say about uh, what the outcome of this election will be and we have to respect democracy and see what the, the numbers are like afterwards and, and see what's possible. We always said we were going to contest this election as an independent political party and that's exactly what we're doing. Obviously, with the rise of Sinn Féin, it does seem that voters are looking for uh, an alternative, something different. What can the Social Democrats offer a swing voter? Yeah, well, I mean, essentially, we're solutions focused. And certainly when we get on the doors uh, right through the campaign, people were saying, um, if, if they were undecided, they were saying, I'm undecided, but it won't be Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael. And they were lumping them in together. That was really and that was really, uh, you know, kind of going on over and over and over again. And uh, essentially, then they would tag on what the issue was and why they were so discontented. And really, it's about the reality of people's lives and people wanting solutions, knowing we can be better than this, knowing that people don't have to end up on trolleys if they end up uh, being ill and have to go to a hospital or having their child queue for speech and language or a minor operation like a tonsillectomy or or that kind of thing, Um, knowing that uh, we can do better and have done better in the decades in relation to housing and uh, you know even in bad times we were able to produce housing that uh, we didn't end up with just people ending up for example in homelessness because they can't pay the rent and like I over the over the last six or seven years that has been the most dominant issue that has presented in my constituency office I have gone on over and over and over about it in the doll um, and now the government are saying we haven't done enough a lot of us have been saying for a very long long time that uh, the market the market is not going to resolve this do you feel the last government relied then a little bit too much on the market to solve this housing crisis yeah like if, even if you look at one thing alone look at the housing assistance payment really what's happening is we're throwing money at that rather than investing in a solution 500 million this year and we're getting poor outcomes this has to be all about outcomes we have to look back on when we're at 2030 we've just started this new decade and we've got to look back and say do you know what this is the doll that made the difference we've got to be determined to make the difference and making a difference is that people can afford uh, you know to you know to either rent or buy their home um, on average incomes we've got to have a difference in that the Sláinte Care plan which is uh, which is an all party plan can't just be a plan on a shelf it has to be delivered and delivered quickly 
public transport we're just hearing you know about people spending an extra hour in their car uh, a day that's very much in the news today and and the thing about it is that will continue to be the case as long as we think it's all about moving cars this is about moving people and if you move people you have to have the public transport to do that that's attractive for people to do it so there's a big investment needed there if we don't do that what will happen is we'll pay fines in relation to not meeting our targets so a lot of the green agenda is a very practical agenda um, and that very practical agenda is about you know public transport uh, building up not only regional development really good regional development but not just build buildings but linking it to land use linking it to public transport well uh, you mentioned obviously housing is the issue of this uh, general election and we do have one query from one of our readers for you on that Hi, my name is Laura. I'm living in Dublin, but I'm originally from Salbridge. My question for Catherine Murphy is, what is she planning to do in relation to housing in her constituency of North Kildare? Now, I know that's quite specific to your own constituency, but really, I suppose, generally, uh, we'd like to know what your housing policy is. All of the parties are talking about building X amount of tens of thousands of houses. But in reality, what? how does that work? Yeah, essentially, affordability has to be the central tenant here. Um, for the first time, we're seeing em- emigration from this country, not on the basis that there's no jobs or there's a downturn. It's because people can't live. They can't afford to live. So affordability is a central theme. Um, and essentially what you do is the public land banks have to be used, not given away or gifted to the private sector. They've got to u- be used in a way that delivers both to buy, to rent and for council housing. And we would say that the Oculon model, uh, which was done in Ballymun, um, showed that you could build a house, a three bedroom house with very good insulation for about 200,000. A mortgage on that is about 800 a month. You know, you can you can see how that is wildly different to the double. Uh, that's more like fifteen hundred that people are paying. That is not sustainable. What it does is it drives up demands, wage demands, because people have to be able to afford to live. So essentially. If you take uh, the Land Development Agency, the Land Development Agency has to have affordability as a central tenant. It has to become a project management agency. And then what you do is you take the risk out of uh, builders tendering. Uh, You have your planning done, you have your finances in place, and you get economies of scale because you're building big, but you're building the three different aspects there. Um, And you drive down costs by doing that. It makes it attractive to builders not speculators but builders to to tender in that kind of an environment and what about VAT and tax changes are there I've heard some commentators say that if you change the VAT that uh, it'll make it easier for builders to build as well a lot of that tax is going to the government anyway is there any way you can well, reduce the, that the, the one thing that you've got to do is I mean I use I saw it in development contributions when they went up it actually the house price went up as well what we've got to do is we've, we've got to use the uh, the land banks I think that's that's the central piece but also while we're waiting there are people renting and uh, we feel that renters have got to and we'll 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 publish a renters charter later in the week we have got to have uh, fair play for people who are renting um uh, while we're we're waiting for these land banks to deliver does that mean a rent freeze you're behind a rent freeze you would be yeah we would be and um 
you know, essentially, if it's time limited, it certainly is not at odds with Article 43 of the Constitution that's forever quoted, because Article 43 is not just about property rights, it's also about the common good. It's that balance of rights that we feel would be adjudicated on if there was any challenge to it. Great stuff. Uh, you did mention Solange Care. I just wanted to briefly discuss it with you. I know that your colleague Roisin Shortall on one of the RTE panel discussions recently said, while of course she's well behind it and so many of the parties are, yet the funding hasn't come in to kick off Solange Care. What would you do if you got into government now in the next few weeks to make sure that that funding is front and centre? Yeah, well, of course, it was it was Roisin who initiated the all-party approach and then chaired the committee, brought in expert opinion from uh, Trinity College and then consulted widely with the various uh, nurses, doctors and so on and so forth and that's where that came from this wasn't a bunch of politicians in a room so we have the plan It's no point. there's no point in having a plan putting it on a, shel- on a shelf it has to be funded and uh, essentially we will be making we, we, we will be absolutely demanding that we stop the lip service and start funding this if we funded that again we look back on this dec- decade and we'll say how did we allow that to happen there was a solution and uh, I believe Solange Care is the solution but it has to be funded. And why do you think the funding hasn't come in? It was well and truly agreed some time ago, what was the stalling of it? Yeah well I mean obviously we didn't control the budgets um, and the, the, um, the voters are going to have an opportunity now to vote for parties who are committed to delivering uh, better public services and that's why we're asking them to vote for the Social Democrats. Uh, We do have another question here, Catherine, from uh, Jennifer Doyle. She wants to ask you about local authorities. Hi, Deputy Murphy. My name is Jennifer Doyle. I'm from Dublin. I live in Maynooth. Um, You spoke on the leaders' debate about local government funding. I just wanted to ask what would the Social Democrats' long-term plan be for smaller local authorities who rely on central funding and can't raise the same amount of funding through LPT and commercial rates that larger local authorities can um, your policy document talks about them having a higher spend per capita and a higher spend on payroll costs. So would you suggest that they cut staff numbers and cut the level of service that they're currently providing or what would be the long term plan? Thank you. Well, there's a point below which um, you can't allow uh, a local authority to fall. Um, and I mean, it, and, and it's not a one size fits all. Um, there is uh, the local property tax was a replacement tax it uh, it it did away with what was what happened was people had an expectation when this was introduced and it was sold as an additional tax in actual fact or, or, or an additional funding for local government in actual fact it replaced the local government fund now one of the things that's not counted is population is not counted so um so if you're di- if you're distributing local property tax uh, there's a baseline that was set around the year 2000. So if you're, for example, looking at places like Tyrrellstown that didn't exist um, in uh, in the year 2000, how do you provide for the needs um, in that kind of an environment? The, the areas that are doing worst, and I've done quite a lot of research on this, um, the, uh, the areas that are doing worst in terms of local property tax are rapidly developing areas um you'll find in on the on the fringe of cork on the fringe of galway and on the uh 
they're like a Fingal, they're like Kildare Mead and Wicklow. They're the ones that are the big losers in terms of the local property tax because they have carried really the load when it comes to new housing development. Now, you can't build sustainable communities without um, adequate resources uh, and um, and where there is a baseline be- below which uh, no county should fall. And we're looking at typically the like of the Leitrims, the very small counties. Um, you are also, you also have an obligation to properly fund areas that have new needs that's not happening and that is a that's a huge gap um that i i think is hugely underprovided for in relation to the local authorities do you think local authorities overall should be looked at and uh, perhaps maybe restructured i think we have to stop talking about balanced regional de- development and we need to do it and that is about um that is not just about building buildings it is it is about decentralizing power and local authorities have a role to play in that now i think that they would have to be reformed and regional authorities have to have a a, a bigger um, say there um where there's a you know you, not every local authority has to have a specialist team but there may well be a group of um local authorities for example that would have have specialists in the area of you know urban design and building and things like that um so uh, so i think we've got to do things differently because there's a real urban rural divide that i think is 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 really unfortunate but it's unfortunate because uh, we haven't actually addressed that issue we also have a huge amount of fragmentation and we're terrible at creating problems and then trying to resolve them uh, instead of, of, of joining things together and actually making them work. Um, and I, I think that we're, we see a lot of that, um, little bits and pieces um, uh, rather than the consolidation. So I, I'm in yeah. favour of and we're in favour of consolidation and, um, and, and actually scale does matter. And what do you think the big cause of the urban rural divide is and what would you do to address it? We really punch above our weight when it comes to community, um, and that is one of the best aspects and, and be- best attributes of Irish society. Now, how do we inculcate that into our institutions, um, and how do we resource them? And I think there has to be there has been a you know the the. The, our industrial policy has been far more weighted in terms of for, foreign direct investment. We have to start looking at indigenous uh, business, whether it's in rural areas or urban areas, and start giving a uh, a greater focus there, uh, so as that um, we can we can build from small to medium, and we can have big companies that are indigenous uh, to Ireland, but also who can uh, who can um, export as well. So one of your policies that we've noticed from your manifesto is that you're pushing for a work-life balance and pushing again for a four-day week for working parents. That is probably something no working parent would argue with, but in terms of small and medium enterprise, small companies that are employing these parents, what kind of supports could you put in place for those companies? It's not one size fits all and there is no two ways about it. We would have to work with business. We would aspire to that and see how that could be, um, how that could be introduced. Where we're looking at, um, like we just don't, pick ideas and say we, we'll have a look at how they work elsewhere try and be evidence-based and in fact um 
the four day uh, working week or a shorter working week can actually produce dividends but it's not uh, it, it is not going to obviously be the same for every um, the small employers will will have a different issue than the larger employers if you like um, so we're, we're, we're conscious of that but I keep on saying a hundred years ago which is not a long time in historical terms I mean the idea of uh, a five day working week the idea of employee rights people would have laughed at you I mean we're looking we're looking at the future and we're not looking at the next just general election we're looking at what the next generation will need um, and essentially if you ask people what are the most important things in their lives they'll stop and they'll tell you it's family it's time to care whether it's for children whether it's for older people and for themselves um, and getting a good work life balance is really important from that point of view and the flexibility in working for example is really important for example for parents childcare is coming up as a gigantic issue in uh, in on the doorsteps i'm knocking on and um and and it's, it's the things that fit together I, this woman i was talking to the other day and she was saying look i take the train into town you can't afford two cars um my biggest problem is getting back um, where there's an infrequent service we have to join things up that make things work for people um, like for example uh, you know you know in, like investing in children and investing in childhood actually you know what it actually delivers for society so we've to, we've to make uh, these kind of things work for people so as that they, they spend less time uh, on things like for example sitting in the car stressed out about not being able to get home not being able to get to the to the question time and things like that. I know we're hearing, Catherine, about a recovery, but do you think uh, the case is that voters are concerned about the type of recovery we're getting? Well, I think what's been dominant, not just this election, but the last election as well, that's why it's so disappointing that, uh, you know, the, the last four years have not uh, focused uh, in any way on really building society. Uh, there's a, there is a sense of collectivism. You'll see typically older people concerned about, you know, where their children are going to live. You know, uh, you, you'll see it's cross-generational. Um, and uh, and essentially, um, uh, that collectivism is about putting money back into people's pockets by doing things differently. It is about um, providing the like of and aspiring to and starting to build a system where childcare is a public system. Um, um, you know, where you get good resources, well-educated staff, well-trained staff looking after children again investing in childhood um that would make a monumental difference uh, in terms of i wonder of, why we can't yeah. get it right we have yeah. never gotten the childcare thing right no, we haven't no and in fact i won a by-election in 2005 and childcare was one of the main topics after that uh, one of my main topics and suddenly the commuter belt got noticed because oh this is the this is a, an issue and the ecky year came after that which is very important. It's not childcare, that's early childhood education. We have to understand that childcare is different. Now there's lots of people that make different arrangements, whether it's family that are uh, minding uh, minding children, whether it's a mix and match in terms of, uh, you know, part-time work, um, and it's a real juggle, um, uh, or whether it's crash. And a cre- the crash at the moment, for example, what I'm hearing is, again, a quote from, the do- from a doorstep, young woman saying, I have a really good 
job. I'm keen to get back to work. This is my second child. The reason I can get the child into the creche, because a lot of the baby rooms are being closed. The reason why I can get the child into the creche is because there's a sibling there. But uh, it's 800 for one, but the baby will be 1,250. She says, it's just not worth my while. The Taoiseach now and Minister Zappone would argue that they have brought in provisions for childcare. Do you feel it goes far enough? Is there enough in that? No, it's it's going nowhere near. Um, and what we need to be doing is we need to be looking at what they're doing in places like Sweden, who've led the way on, on childcare. And it has delivered hugely for society, not just for the individual child and the child's welfare, but for society in general. And of course, that kind of model, people will argue, well, look, it's going to mean more taxes. Where do you stand on the, the tax giveaway versus increasing taxes for public well, spending? There's two ways of putting money back in people's pockets. And if they're, if they're paying taxes, they should expect to get public services. Public services are not there just for people who can't afford to put their hand in their pocket. They should be there for everyone. You shouldn't have to. Um, if you pay your taxes, you, you should expect to have health care. You should expect to have education. You should expect to have childcare. These should be public goods. That's what we need to build towards. Uh, obviously a, a major issue f- too for parents, not only childcare, but education of their children. There is one more question here. This is Graeme. He's a teacher. Hi Catherine, against both his and Fianna Gael's wishes, the Minister for Education now has the authority to compel schools to set up special classes where there is a need and the school refuses. Instead of ensuring all students' right to an appropriate education, last summer Minister McHugh decided to compel six primary schools in Leo Varadkar's constituency to open special classes, ignoring the secondary sector, where need is by far the greatest, as well as everywhere outside of Dublin. Either in government or opposition will you publicly commit to supporting the use of this authority to ensure no student who has a professional recommendation of needing the support of a special class has to go without it because of the school's refusal and the inaction of the Minister for Education. Yeah, well, it comes up. It comes up regularly, um, and I, I don't think I've ever met a parent with a child with special need, whatever end of the spectrum it is, that doesn't have a big file under their arm where they're lobbying for services. Appropriate education has to be available if people are going to reach their their, their potential, and we're looking at people's ability rather than exclusively looking at where there is a disability. There, there has to be a rights-based approach to this, and um, education is absolutely critical. Um, you know, the special classes are needed for uh, for particular children, but also resourcing things like, for example, um, you know, SNAs and uh, resource uh, teaching in schools. Um, so, look. It, what I'm seeing is people are handing me letters that they're getting from the schools where they're talking about doing away with uh, the special class Um, and uh, essentially there is quite a lot of upset over this Um, I think that there is going to be a public backlash uh, to, uh, to, to what appears to be a means of saving money rather than delivering good educational outcomes. So it's not a, it's not an education philosophy they're implementing yeah. here as opposed it's not an equality based decision is it that they yeah. it's it's actually you feel it's a resources issue. I think it is and and that would be my reading of it and that is the way it's coming across to me uh, from people who are both teachers and uh, parents who has a, have a child with a special need. Finally, Catherine, we do like to ask a lighter question for our final question. So in terms of this general election cycle, you are running a small party. Obviously, you're a woman in politics. You've been in politics for a significant length of time. Is it challenging this uh, election cycle? 
it, no, it's a, it's a day at a time, and I suppose I'm an old seasoned campaigner now. You know, um, I fought a lot of elections, and uh, essentially, um, I, I'm surprised at how uh, you know I, I'm taking it in my stride. So no, I'm not. Uh, I'm not phased. But um, this is a bit different. Uh, the last time and this time, but uh, this time we've twenty candidates. Um, um, obviously, we're, we've great uh, hopes for uh, several of our Social Democrat uh, colleagues. Um, um, our big message will be: we need number ones to stay in the in the race, um, and we, we've a lot of youth in our volunteers. Mainly, we've a lot of people who have. Uh, you know, fought in the uh, the marriage referendum and repeal, and now they're um, now they're fighting. Sometimes their first election as a volunteer, um, and that kind of enthusiasm and energy is really helpful as well. I know we were discussing this off air before we sat down. You feel, as I feel, that the youth, uh, even though anecdotally they're not known to vote in general elections, there is uh, a lot more engagement from young people in this one. Do you think? I do, and I think we're going to get a good turnout, and I hope we do, and I think we're, get, we're going to get a lot of young people who will be turning out. I'm certainly seeing that. And I think one of the little kind of, uh, kind of indicators of that is the number of people who sign up for the supplementary register in advance who've just turned 18, for example. And we saw a very healthy number um, doing that, so I think that that is a great indicator. It's not home to vote, but... It is. Uh, we're certainly seeing. Um, we're certainly seeing interest, um, and I'm expecting uh, young people to vote um, um, in sizable numbers in, in this election. It'll be interesting one to watch this again. We look, Catherine Murphy, uh, leader of the Social Democrats. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Candidate with me, Laura Byrne. We appreciate you sending in your questions and we do apologise if we didn't get to include yours. We will be putting other questions to further party leaders in the coming days. But if you'd like to listen back to the number of leaders that we have met so far, you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was produced and co-edited by Christina Finn and Nikki Ryan. Please leave us a review and a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'd love if you shared it with a friend who you think might enjoy it. So see you next time.